try to aim a little bit higher than the feet, but uh, you know how that goes. You never know how it's going to come out. Really enjoyed that music. Uh, it just seems to sound better here on the platform. I noticed particularly the piano, and that song was great. And I was thinking about uh, Tyler's song, The Great I Am Still Is. And it's wonderful in church, isn't it? Have you had any trouble this week? It's really wonderful when you have trouble, too. God's there. I don't know about any of you guys. Any of you guys get in trouble with your wife this week? Any of you? Okay, got one or two brave men. I'm, I'm so thankful. It doesn't always work out good at the moment, but you know that God's there and that God's going to get in here and get it all fixed. But I'm, I'm so thankful to be saved tonight. Good to be in God's house. Get your Bible out and turn to the book of Revelation all the way back to the back. Or as... Uh, uh, it is said, the book of the Revelation, the book of the uncovering, <clears throat> and uh, what a wonderful book. <clears throat> I'm beginning to understand a little bit of it. Revelation chapter 3, if you would. As many times as you look at these verses and you hear them preached on, and as a preacher you get to preach out of some of these, and God is always showing you something new, a not a new angle, but something that you didn't see there before. And so I want to share that with you. When you get, get turned over there, go ahead and stand if you would, and we'll read, and then we'll pray, and you can sit back down. Revelation chapter 3, and look down to verse 14. <clears throat> and I'll read down here a little bit of ways, and uh, then we'll pray, and you can be sit down. Verse 14, Revelation 3. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold, tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you and praise you. Father, for this day and for each blessing, for the word that we've already heard. Lord, for the great music, and uh, most of all, Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the song that Tyler sang, that, that you are who you are, who you've always been, and God, I just pray that you would just move among us here, Father, I pray, and, and just work in our hearts and minds. I pray that I could be a blessing. I pray most of all that I would do what you want me to do, and Lord, that you would lead me, and when it's all said and done, invitation time, I pray there'd be liberty in this building for anybody here that doesn't know Christ. Lord, any saint of God that, uh, Lord, uh, just wants to draw closer to you, anything you've shown us, I pray that your will be done. And we want to thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> what we just read here, boy, this whole book of prophecy, but what we just read, just half of a chapter, if you will, um, it's all God's word from the hand of John, uh, the apostle John, while he was in exile on the Isle of Patmos. Go back to Revelation chapter 1, and let me just read it for you. You don't have to turn back there to it. And it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. 
and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. So the Bible says to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. All this book is not fulfilled. All this is up to date is for you and I. So God sent this message not just for the recipients at the time, but for, for you and I, as we'll look at here in just a few moments. We see this address to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. Many of you understand this the way I learned it, that uh, this is addressed to the uh, angel or the messenger or the pastor of the church. We go back to verse chapter 1 and verse 3, and it says there's a promised blessing. Blessed, now get a load of this, this is very important. Blessed is he that readeth, okay, we just read it, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and they that keep those things. So you have all those blessings to those that read it, to those that hear it, and those that keep the words of this prophecy. So that's pretty easy to understand that there's a blessing in here uh, that God has for us. And so I just want to give you just a little thing here that I learned years and years ago about prophecy, that many, much prophecy has what's called a dual fulfillment. It has a near fulfillment, and it has a far fulfillment. And so what we just read here, uh, the, uh, the original received message that was sent to the church to lay the sins has a fulfillment with them. It worked what God wanted them to work. You know, it says in the book of Ezekiel, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, preach the message, give the word, be the messenger. And then the uh, farther fulfillment is those down through the ages, that is including us here tonight as we've read this, of the seven letters. Theologians over the years have assigned seven different ages to these seven letters. And the age that we live in now is often referred to as the Laodicean age. And so as we look at this and think about it, uh, Laodicea being the last and the present age, the one that we are living here today, if you want to go by that. And I think that's an interesting way to put it. And God is smart, so I think he, he designed it that way. There's also characteristics in here that have existed in the churches throughout time. Different people, different things going on in different churches. What I want to preach on tonight comes out of verse 17. And I'll read the whole verse one more time. It says, because thou sayest, here's the church. Here's the thought of the church, and I think the mood and the spirit of not just some in the church, not just half of the church, but all of the church. You know, the Bible says a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. It's amazing what a little bit of dirt can do, amen? And uh, so uh, verse 17 says, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knoweth not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I want to preach tonight on the church that doesn't need God. I've never preached on that before, but uh, that's what we find right here in this chapter. They have need of nothing. They don't need God. I find today, to me, we live in an age like that, that we have churches that don't need God. I don't want to preach to anybody outside the building. I want to keep it right here. But I notice there's a, there's a whole lot that goes on out there that don't seem to have anything to do with God. And, and a lot that I don't think God would have a whole lot to do with to start with. So I want you to think about that thought, the church that doesn't need God. I want you to keep in mind about this church is it's often looked to as a, uh, in a derogatory sense, and rightfully so. I want you to keep in mind that this once was an established church. This once was an established church. It was like a sister church at the church of Colossae, if you will. In Colossians 4.16, the Apostle Paul said... When this epistle is written among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans. Yeah. 
and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. They was about 20 miles apart. So having said that and giving you a little bit of introduction, that's what I want to preach tonight. And you say, well, why in the world are you preaching that to this church? God told me to. <laughs> I want to tell you, I don't want to ever, hey, listen, I may mess up a bunch of things in English and all this other stuff. I don't want to ever get behind the pulpit without God. And I've asked God several times to, to help me and to show me. And so as we look at this and think about it, let's go ahead, as Brother Jeremiah says, and jump into this, the church that didn't need God. I want you to notice a few things about this church, and the first one is the condition of the church, what the Lord said. You know, God knows everything, right? Amen? And when Jesus says something, you can take it to the bank. Jesus said about this church in verse 16, he said, So then, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now, I don't know about you, I wouldn't want God to say that about me. I feel pretty rotten sometimes. You know how it is when you kind of, don't want to say fall off the wagon, but you know we're sinners saved by grace and we still live in this, this old uh, wicked body that craves things that you have to constantly smack the fingers, if you will, constantly correct, just like we do our children. And so he says the condition of this church is lukewarm. He says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, I would that thou art cold or hot. You know, we can be good actors at times, can't we? My wife has often said, and I've heard uh, uh, Brother Jeremiah made the comment sometimes that people will comment about his countenance as he's sitting there, you know. I mean, well, you, know, you can only smile for so long. Uh, I've tried sitting back there with my wife. Hey, honey, how you doing? Uh, sitting back there with my wife, and I try to have, you know, as best I can to just distort this face into a pleasant look. And I want to tell you, that's a job to do for about 50 minutes to kind of have a pleasant face. I don't know if he can see me that far back with those glasses on or not. Uh, but the Lord says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. So here is a lukewarm church, if you will. You know, I used to think, well, it's not so bad being halfway between cold and hot, right? But that's sickening to God. And cold or hot is not definitely just talking about a, a particular uh, something or another as far as like on the hot water heater. It means that, that we're either this way for God or that way for God, but that we have a, de a definite, uh, particular something about us that you know that we're about God. And this church was lukewarm. They stood for nothing that counted. That's a horrible way to be. Vance Habner used to say, uh, talking about this, uh, uh, they would run with the hare and hunt with the hound. They was just had a wide range of spectrum of, of where they would exist. But this church stood for nothing that counted. Remember now, it was a, a viable church at one time. It was, a, it was a people that got saved and formed a church. The Bible does say a little bit about a church and a man's house there at Laodicea and a church worthy of sending a letter to and a church worthy of God giving a warning here and letting them know that there's still mercy, uh, that they can still get these things right. But it's a church that stood for nothing that counted, that compromised with the world. You know, I thought about this, and I thought about my life, and I, I thought, I, I didn't tell my wife this years ago, but when the Lord called me to preach, it was a scary proposition, being a quiet person and a shy person, and, and uh, uh, it, it was just really a, really a tough thing. But after a while, I got to thinking, I said, you know, if I, when I surrender to preach, it's going to be a whole lot easier to live for God. I found out it got a whole lot harder <laughs> to do the things that God wanted me to do. And so uh, standing, listen, standing up for Jesus means standing against what is against him. 
You ever heard that saying, uh, uh, separate the men from the boys? Well, I want to tell you, this is going to separate Christians from lukewarmness. Because if it's for real what God did for us and what God put in us and what this book does for us and how the Holy Spirit of God speaks to us and guides us, we have to take a stand for the Lord and standing against what is against Him. Um, I love the Bible, don't you? I'm going to revert to a few verses that will help me out a little bit. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, the Bible says, love not the world. Boy, that's tough, isn't it? <laughs> love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Wow, boys, a couple of big lists, right? Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Wow, that's pretty plain, isn't it? You know, the world is against God because this world is Satan's kingdom. We know it's going to come to an end one day, amen? But we have this attraction. Uh, the Bible says to be not conformed to the world. But this flesh has this big problem of wanting to conform to the world and wanting to fit in and blend in. And so this, this thing of standing up for Jesus means that we stand against what is against him and the world is against God. One day, the world, and it's working right now. You and I don't see it. We're not smart enough to see it, but God saw it and God put it down in this book and we can understand and comprehend. The world right now is working on a program to put together an army one day that's going to stop Jesus from returning. You say, that's pretty bold. Yeah, that's pretty bold. That's what Satan has going now. And we've read the rest of the story. We understand about that. But standing up for God, listen, not being a compromiser, it means standing against what is against him and the world is against Jesus. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. Aren't you glad? Amen? The verses go on to say in verse 16, for all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh. I have a problem with the flesh. I don't know about you. I live in it, and uh, uh, it's the enemy of God. Um, I was born uh, a child of, uh, of the wicked one, as you were. I was born lost. I didn't realize I was lost when I was born. I was just happy with what they would feed me and what they would give me and, uh, and, and, and clean me up and stuff like that. But I got old enough one day and realized, man, there's something in here that ain't working right. Amen? And I figured that out by hearing the Word of God, the uncompromised Word of God. And boy, God let me know how much I needed Jesus. And, and the, fear of, uh, uh, the fear of hell got into me because I heard the man mention hell behind the pulpit and said, that's where all sinners go. And so all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, we're having a time with that, aren't we? Not just the young people, is it, young people? It's the young adults. It's the middle-aged adults. It's the older adults. Hey, it's the senior citizens adults. We're having a, we, we have a problem with that. This church had a problem with that. And then the last verse, the Bible says, All the world passeth away and the lust thereof. All of this nonsense that's going on today, the acting, the playing, what's the church of Laodicea, what they lived for and what they died for, is going to pass away. It's going to be ashes. Now, here's my favorite part. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. He that doeth. Amen? Amen. Now, that's worth living for, isn't it? Hey, that's worth fighting for, isn't it? That's worth fighting against the world. So we see here the condition of the church was lukewarm. I don't know about play acting. I know drama's in a whole lot of stuff today. And, 
you know, uh, um, we're imitators, right? And, uh, and there's a lot I could say about that, but the condition here, this church that doesn't, didn't need God, the condition of it was lukewarm. We need to guard against lukewarmness. We need to be real. We don't need to be the Hollywood real. We need to be real, amen? And we don't need to be like one another. I'm, I'm glad we, uh, I'm glad I, uh, uh, my, my wife is so much like me in some respects that, you know, <laughs> we, we like what we like and we don't like what we don't like. And, and there t- comes times that we don't mind sharing that with one another. And we get a few fireworks, but then we get to make up about all that stuff. So, but we got to endure all this stuff, but God's got a plan. We don't want to be lukewarm, do we? We don't want to be lukewarm, do we? We don't want our kids to think we're lukewarm, do we? We believe this book. We believe in holy matrimony. We believe in keeping ourselves pure until that time comes, right? And all those things we could share. So here's the condition of the church. It was lukewarm. Now, the second thing, notice, and all this comes from Jesus. He knows their works. He knows our works, by the way. Jesus' condemnation of their condition. There's a weird thing going on today, and you have to excuse me. I get dry. Having lived through many presidents, and the first ones I didn't care about, so I can't even tell you who they were. <laughs> but having, having lived a good while, I've seen a lot of changes. And some of you folks in here that are not quite as old as I am, and I'm not really old, amen. Um, I used to say I could do the work of a 20-year-old, and I have to change that today. I'm not up to about 25 now. I can do the work of a 25-year-old. But uh, I have to pay a little bit more of a price than a 25-year-old does after about 12 hours of labor. But Jesus' condemnation of their condition. And I was fixing to say to you that, you know, things are different. People are so, uh, you know, nobody wants to be mean-spirited, right? That guy that was preaching, Brother Willis, I remember when I was a little kid, couldn't tell you how old, about 9 or 10-year-olds in uh, uh, Green Cove, uh, below Green Cove Springs, Florida, just below uh, St. Augustine, Florida here, Brother Jeremiah, beautiful town, supposed to be the oldest city in the, in, uh, in the United States, and um, when that man got up to preach, and boy, he, pre- he acted like he was mad at everybody and everything. It's amazing, and people just kept coming back to hear that fellow, and uh, uh, the church grew and added on. I got to spend a little time with him. Uh, we, uh, we had, they, they started the choir and had kind of a choir loft like this. And, you know, the choir loft used to have a little wall in the front of them, you know. And back then they had the hand saws, and we got in there, me and a few other boys, and he would have the hand saw and helped him put that thing together. And, and I found out he wasn't really mad at everybody at all, really at all. And I found out he's a pretty nice guy. And he treated us well and, and had us lunch there and was nice to us and all that kind of stuff. Um, but Jesus' condemnation of their condition. Now, Jesus told the truth and I'm not trying to be funny he told it like it is I know thy works and so here we see the condemnation of their condition and it's interesting I noticed this that he did not tailor his message to the ear of the hearer now some of you are young enough to 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 not understand that when the man of God gets behind this pulpit it's his job to honor God and not to please you. Uh, Brother Jeremiah's got a tough job. I mean, all the, this massive church, the grounds, the property, the budgets, and just all this stuff going on, and, and he's got a massive, massive job. 
But above all that, his number one job is to please God and honor him. So we see here with this church that Jesus wanted us to keep reading about this over and over and over again, his condemnation of their condition. So he didn't tailor his message to the ear of the hearer, but to the need of their heart. Isn't it amazing how much God loves us? Buddy, I want to tell you, uh, you've heard preachers say this, but just think about it, how rotten we are. How rotten we are, and the enemy of God. And God sent Jesus that we'd have an opportunity to be saved and be a part of his family, heirs and joint heirs, priests and kings. Amen? All the stuff we hear about uh, when, when, the, when they sing the songs. And so we, we see here that, that the Lord was, was this condemnation. He was letting them know which way the wind blows. I like that. How about you? Amen? Um, I like it that uh, there's signs out there that tells you when to stop and when to go. Amen? Uh, I still have some trouble with some of those. My wife says, honey, that was a stop sign. Where? Oh, back there. You should have told me before I passed it, right? <laughs> and so, uh, but, but thank God for direction. Amen? I, th I thank God for all the godly people in my life. I thank God for the mentors in my life. Some of the men that, that this day, a few of them are still alive, that, that, that were such a blessing to me. And, 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 and helping guide me, not that they said something necessarily to me, but the way they carried themselves as Christians in this world. And I love them, and I appreciate that. So here Jesus is the condemnation of their condition, but he was trying to reach their heart. Could you imagine the condemnation that he gives right here? First off, says you're lukewarm. And he gives this message to John. John writes it down, and John either takes it himself or gets it, you know, when he got off of the, got off of the island. And uh, uh, he gets it there, and this is the message. I often wondered, did they preach it just the way Jesus sent it? I'd like to think they did. I, I'd, I'd like to think whoever the, whoever the preacher, whoever the pastor was, that he preached it exactly the way they sent it. But you think about this today, how things have changed. And you come into church and said, well, you know, uh, you're lukewarm. You're, you're basically good for nothing. You're middle of the road. You don't stand for anything. Well, that's a pretty good blow right there. We're going to invite that guy back, right? No, really, think about it. Think about how you would feel. I mean, man, noses will be turning up. Uh, tongues will be stuck against chins on the inside, be looking at this. And, man, I, I wonder if I could go to the bathroom and just get out of here for the rest of this message. Some way to get out of here. But here is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to this church that didn't need God. But it was a church at one time. And then Jesus goes on and says, you're wretched. Whoa. You're wretched. I don't know if I really understand the full meaning of what that word means. But it'd be a pretty good insult if I watched him and said, boy, you're the most wretched person I ever met. He goes on with these other words. He says, you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. So we see here Jesus' condemnation of their condition. But can I tell you something? We need to wake up and understand there's people on their way to hell. It ain't about our golf game. It ain't about where we're going on vacation. I mean, listen, I, get a, I take a vacation about every 15 years. And uh, 
we, we usually come to Hattiesburg, but now that we live most of the time in Hattiesburg, I guess we're going to have to go down the coast or something. That's just really a joke. We do take a vacation every once in a while. But these people were on their way to hell. And I think sometimes we get into a position that, that we just don't take things as serious as we need to take them. And I think that gets into churches. I'm, um, we think about compromisers. And I don't want to apologize my way through the message. Amen. I, I really don't. And it's hard to get to know a preacher. You know Brother Jeremiah very well. I think he's a great guy. I think he has a heart for the church. And I believe he preaches the truth. Other folks like myself, you don't hear very much. You just kind of have to squint your eye a little bit and say, I wonder where he's coming from. You know, so you'll have to figure that out. But I got the Bible I'm reading. Amen. I, I mean, I'm reading the Bible. I, this is not some fairy tale or comic book. And so these people were on their way to hell, and, and Jesus gave a, 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 a very, a very stern condemnation of their, of their condition, and he can do that because he knew them. He knew their works. But let me give you this real quick. Oftentimes, compromisers use for an excuse for living for God, raising their family the right way, or even in public, at their workplace or in the church, they use this as kind of a, as a standing pad or an excuse that, you know, I just don't, I don't want to hurt their feelings. And I don't mean that sarcastically. Folks, listen, I don't. All I want to do is do what the book says to do in my preaching. That's all I want to do. Jesus sent this letter, and I believe that it was read. I believe that it was preached. But compromisers often say we don't want to hurt people's feelings and all the different reasons. Some of these deacons are looking at me funny. Are you going to run something? No, I'm not going to run anybody off. I'm telling you the truth. This feeling business is just about gone around the world and crazy. And our rules that we're to live by in this book are just about out the window. They, they are in the country because of, because of people's feelings. Now, I've got feelings, okay? I, I don't want you to come hurt my feelings. I don't want to hurt your feelings. And if me reading this book and trying to expound upon it, what God says is hurting your feelings, then, hey, listen, you're going to have to figure out what God meant here. If I didn't get the message of what God meant, you're going to have to figure out what it meant because you're going to have to give account to it one day because you've probably read it and heard it preached many times, heard it read many times, and, and you'll certainly be accountable for what I preach here tonight. So compromisers often do that. Do we understand that where I can move on? That's, that's kind of a thing today. We can't do this. You know, we, we can't say a man's a man because, you know, you might get locked up and put in jail. You might get fired. Church is wondering about somebody going to sue us and all this other stuff. I mean, I could just go on and on, but I don't want to pile it on. I just want to make the point that that often happens. And who do you think gets, gets the glory out of it? Satan. Amen? Satan. So we see Jesus' condemnation here of their condition. And it was pretty rough, but these people were on their way to hell. I want to share a sobering thought with you. And I'm going to dig a little bit deeper on this one. And I want you to, to really think about what I'm fixing to read out of the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 7. 
And if you can turn, I'd like for you to turn because I want you to see it for yourself. I don't want you to be guessing about it. Matthew chapter 7. I want to share a sobering thought with you. I'm going to read two verses, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, and then I'm going to, I'm going to make an observation, and I'm going to give you a Bible basis for it. And it's a sobering thought. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, we've read it many times. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate. And broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. That's hell. Hello? That's hell. And many, many there be which go in thereat. Verse 14. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. That's heaven. That's salvation. Are we together on that much? And few there be that find it. Now, here's a staggering thought. I'll, I'll get, share this again. It talks about the straight gate. It talks about the wide gate. It talks about the broad way. It talks about the broad way, the wide gate leading into destruction. And it says that there's many there be that go in thereat. And then verse 14, it mentions again the straight gate. Verse 13 says, enter in at the straight gate. Everybody's going to enter into one of these two gates. I'm gonna, uh, folks, it's serious. Amen. This ain't about personality. This is about heaven and hell. This is about eternity. This is where you will spend eternity in one of those two places. Because straight is the gate. Narrow is the way which leadeth into li- unto life. That's heaven. That's salvation. And it says, few there be that find it. Now, here's my sobering thought for you. I want you to look at that word, many. Many. We understand that many means quite a few, right? Uh, We we understand that many would be maybe a handful, right? Uh, Then I want you to see that word, few. Few is often thought of, I think, commonly here in the South is three, right? I don't know. Uh, you uh, uh, You may have learned it the wrong way, but... I learned it that the few is three. I learned that a couple was two. I found out in later years that a lot of what I learned was not right at all, and I had to relearn it again, but I hadn't learned different about those. So here's the, here's the uh, sobering thought tonight that we got the many versus the few, and I would be conservative when I say this, and here's the sobering thought is that two-thirds of the population will die lost and go to a devil's hell according to what this suggests. You say, boy, you reached on that one. Oh, I did, really? Who's the author of this book? I believe all of it. We often mention the red letters. Those are special, because, but, it, but, but God's the author of it. That two-thirds, two-thirds of the world's population has gone and will go to hell because they tried to enter in at the, the wide gate, at the broad way, and they rejected the narrow way, the straight gate. I don't know about you, I don't know anything more serious than that. Amen? I mean, you know, you got car trouble, that's pretty serious, isn't it? Huh? You got feet trouble, that's pretty serious. Your hair's falling out, 
That's pretty serious. Amen? <laughs> this is serious, folks. I, I mean, hell is a forever and ever and ever place that burns with fire. And it ought to be chilling to think that anybody would go there. And to think that two-thirds of the population of the world is going to wind up there because they chose the wrong gate. We get a choice, right? Anybody, listen, anybody that goes to hell will have had a choice, right? The Bible teaches that, that the light uh, is, is allowed to, to go into every man's heart to be able to see his condition to where he can be saved and turn to Jesus, amen, and repent. And trust in Christ and get your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Isn't it wonderful? So Jesus' condemnation of their condition and these compromisers, you know, uh, uh, like these people are here, um, somewhere along the line they, they lost it. And I'm, I'm sharing with you this is a sobering thought that two-thirds of the population will die lost. Now, you can do the math on that. You can figure it out. You say, man, that guy's a crackpot. I don't have a doctor's degree, but I know what many is, and I know what few is. And you can equate that any way you want to. I would say conservatively, two-thirds would be a good number. It's a sobering thought. I want to give you one more. Is that okay? While you're sobered up, we just will get some more sobering, right? Stay in Matthew 7. And look over to verse 21. i got to quit soon. My water's about gone. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now, again, and I'm not trying to be facetious or smart aleck or anything else. The Bible says what the Bible says. Amen? And you want to go down the wrong road, uh, as a Christian or a lost person, is begin to try to make the Bible say something it doesn't say. I believe the Bible uh, was written simple enough that we can read it and understand it. There's some parts of the prophecy that it takes a long time for, for people to study and get all the pieces. Uh, this is not hard to understand. Jesus is saying here that there are people, that there are folks uh, that, that calls God, God, that calls Jesus, Lord, and that, that prays, and, uh, uh, and he gives them here in this passage of Scripture, and he says, uh, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now, is Jesus saying that you've got to go change your life to get saved? Shake your head. No. What is he saying? He's saying because when you get saved, born again, right here, it exists inside this flesh. When it leaves this, that born-again spirit, when it leaves this flesh, they bit this in the ground, right? 
but there, there is something new there that wasn't there before that wants to live for God. Amen? It's real. It's not make-believe. It's kind of like a, the Bible likens it to a baby. We're kind of clumsy, right? We don't know exactly how to do what we need to do. And, and we, we need to be around people that will help us to learn to do what we, how we need to do, right? And get some of the standard business of the Word of God. You know, he didn't come to, to, to do away with the law. He came to establish it, he said. And so it's not legalism. It's just allowing what God put inside of us, that he's inside of us, that we want to live for him. The Bible says there's evidence. I'm glad for that evidence, aren't you? I am so glad. I can go back when I, I got saved, and, and I remember that, that I didn't want to do some of those things I used to do. And I was embarrassed around some of my friends uh, that, at, at school that, that still wanted to do. that. They, would, they didn't change. I was the one that changed, and I was embarrassed to be around it. I was embarrassed to hear some of it, and, and it was just not very far removed from being saved. And that was inside of me. Jesus said, not everybody that says they're saved is going to go. I know this is a bad subject. We know we don't want anybody to doubt their salvation. But we certainly want you to know that you've got it. And there's some evidence in your life that you do possess it. And my friend, I want to tell you, Satan will laugh you all the way to hell and help you believe that you belong to God. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, verse 22, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? We were part of the youth program. Man, we went out on Wednesday before service. We knocked on doors. We handed out tracts. We talked to people about the Lord. We, we, we did those things. We went to the youth program. We went to the camps. We did all of those things as a young person. And we did all those things that everybody's supposed to do. And, and, and it was thrilling and it was fun. Well, how are you doing on living for the Lord? How are you standing up? I understand. Don't like this type of preaching. I'd rather preach something a whole lot more pleasant, amen? I probably won't get to preach again. I'm just kidding. But seriously, how are you doing with the rest of the book? Are we becoming compromisers like the rest of the churches? Are we? Does any of this, does any of this mean anything to it? Is, is there something in, in here? And, and, and so he says, they say, well, we did all, we, we did all this. Now, where are they saying this at? It's a place in the book of Revelation calls the great white throne. Folks, this is a real place. They're about to die the second death. I'm going to die one time if the Lord don't come back in the rapture. One time. I will, I will not stand at the great white throne. I won't die twice, but the lost person is going to die twice. And I'm not going to dig too too deep into that confusion. I want to stay with the message. And then he says that many will say that. You see that word many again? Do you see it? Many. A lot of people. Verse 23, he says, and then will I profess unto you, I never knew you. Wow. Wow. 
That's about the most awfulest thing you'd ever hear. Well, I, I, it is the most awfulest thing you ever heard. I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. You see, he talks about their works. Folks, I'm begging you. Works are evidence. It, it doesn't make us saved, but it's evidence that we are saved. Amen? <clears throat> Brother Jeremiah, when he got married, he didn't change his name. He kept the name Andrews. That's evidence that he's my son. The little rabbi spot in the back is another evidence. <laughs> that I, I know exactly how he feels. When I started losing losing hair, that always that little spot back there, man, I hate it. And look at me now, amen. And and uh, but uh, it's it's been happening long enough that he'll 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 get over it. And so the second, the first thing we see is Jesus, the condition of the church, lukewarm. And then we see Jesus' condemnation of the church, and it was not pretty, folks. It wasn't pretty. I think Jesus knows what we need. He knew what the church needed. So he gave them what they needed. And then finally, the last thing we see here is, is, is the greatest thing, is Jesus' invitation to the church. Remember the old story, you've got to get the bad news before you get the good news. Amen? Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I was a kid, I'd eat cake. had the icing on top. I'd eat the bottom of the cake. <laughs> Save just a thin layer that had the icing on it, I'd eat that last. Jesus' invitation to the church. Now, again, we've got to get the bad news before we get the good news. Now, can I tell you what I believe Jesus wants for this church? exactly what he said I believe that Jesus wanted the church to know the false church if you will he said behold I stand at the door and knock if any man will hear my voice and open the door I will come unto him come into him and will sup with him and he with me to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne even as I also overcame and am set down with my father which is in his throne he that hath an ear let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches Notice all of the way he's talking about this. Uh, he that overcometh. You see, they were lost. They were not saved. And he says, he that, uh, said, I'm standing at the door, and, and, I'm, and I'm knocking there at the door. When we hear the word of God, it's got a message to it. Amen. When you read the word of God, it's got a message to it. I don't know about you, but, you know, uh, uh, my days don't always go well like yours don't always go well. There's moments, there's there's things that, you know, there's just things that generally we just don't like the day that we're having today. And we've got to work through that. And we can pray, right, amen? That helps. But as a pastor over the years, I'd sometimes I'd have a bad day on a Wednesday. Prayer meeting. Well, man, I, I don't feel like any state of preaching at all. And before I can even think about preaching, I've got to get right. And I almost feel like I've got to throw my guts up to get right because of the day. And first thing I do is pray. And then I pick up my Bible and start reading. And it's glorious. It's wonderful. And a little bit of time, I felt like I was fit to preach. And a little bit of time... God gave me something to preach. And boy, it was getting close to church time. How many times has that happened in my life? 
So we see here the word of God is Jesus is always reaching out. But here the story is about lost people. And he wanted this message preached in his churches. This is prophecy. And we're a part of what Jesus said was going to happen. We're a part tonight of that blessing of reading it. You're a part of that blessing in hearing it read. And we can continue to be a part of it as he gave us in these verses in chapter 1 by doing it. And so here tonight, Jesus gives an invitation to the church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. Fellowship is good, isn't it? There's been so much eating going on here in this church <laughs> the last couple of weeks. It's just amazing. I mean, they've even been giving, giving away food, amen, so somebody else could eat. It's good. And then sitting around talking, right, it's good. And then doing some work and stuff like that, it's all good. But there ain't nothing like what this is going to be. What we fight every day is going to be gone. I mean, it's going to be glorious. But Jesus is begging this church. He told them their condition. He condemned their willful condition that you don't need God. We don't want to ever become that. We don't. We don't even come close. We don't want to be a compromiser. Not even a little bit, amen? We don't, we don't, Mom and Dad, we don't, we don't want it at our house. Say, what are you, some kind of holy roller? I'm a sinner saved by grace, amen? And I can read, and the Holy Spirit's in here. Hey, we want to give our kids a chance, a real chance, a Bible chance to learn who God is and what God will do because through the power of God and the Word of God and training, all these ugly passions can be tamed. Have we forgotten that in the church today? They can be tamed. So closing, Jesus gives an invitation. He says, I stand at the door. Now, I don't know what God's done for you tonight. I appreciate your attention. But the purpose of hearing the word of God is God wants to do something. The most important people in here tonight are the people that are not saved. Two-thirds of the population will go to hell. We just read about a percentage, it doesn't give a percentage, of people that profess to be saved that are really not saved. You don't want to find out when you die and wind up in hell. And this, this, is, this is real. The most important people. I, I don't know why God sent this message. I had something else that I really thought would be great. And I've, all of a sudden, God throws this in here. And I said, thank you, God. Amen. Uh, as long as you can get a charge with it from God. It's come from heaven. It's real. Amen. Jump in there and study it and find out what he wants you to say. And he'll give you the rest behind the pulpit. Is the lost person here tonight. Jesus is saying, I stand at the door and knock. I mean, have you ever heard that before? Somebody knock on the pulpit? I had a man in the church, his, his brother, his brother was buried, I think, yesterday. 
and he was a member of our first church, and he's been dead a long time. Brother Jeremiah will remember the guy if I called his name. He'd come sit in church, and he'd look at the sidewall. I know Brother Jeremiah remembers this. I'd close the service many times and say, don't go out that door lost. Don't go out that door lost. Don't go out that door lost. And he went out that door lost time after time after time after the, I don't know why. They may be somebody here. They may be a group of people here tonight that as the invitation was given this morning, ask for a show of hands if you're not sure. Hey, folks, listen. Jesus is doing this. If you have any doubt at all, here's Jesus. I mean, Jesus, this is him. It's not the preacher. Hey, it's, it's Jesus. He's begging you. He's laid it out for you. And if there's any doubt with you tonight that you're not saved, that you don't have any, at least if you don't have any evidence of salvation, at least, at least talk to somebody about that. Amen? Jesus said, <clears throat> I stand at the door, and if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. So he gives the invitation. How gracious of God, God is to do that. And above all else, God wants everybody to be saved. But I just showed you what can happen to a church. A little and a little and a little. And then we get pride because we're the church. And then, you know, we let a little slip here. We let a little slip there. Next thing you know, the whole thing's gone. And so tonight, I beg you, honestly do, I presented the case. I've given you the Bible here tonight. There's a message to all of us, but mostly to the lost person that is here tonight. If you haven't made that decision, if you've been thinking about that decision, or if you're a person here tonight that, you know, you miss church. It's not important to you. And worst of all, you're only acting. You're living a double life. So people will think it's good so you can be in the situation you're in. Jesus is doing this. One of the best opportunities you ever get here tonight as we pray. Father, we thank you and praise you, God, for the opportunity.